What the hell? What the hell? I haven't done one of these since March 14th? That's a month and then a whole nother week on top of it. Good thing for you, the Soups on Hockey listeners, all two of you. Good thing for you that I have no life and I'm at home at what is now 11 o'clock. Now that I took about half an hour to get my notes together, it's 11 o'clock and I'm going to pump out not one, but two podcasts, one on the Oilers, one on the rest of the league, might even do three tonight, but I'm doing two that I'm going to put out for Easter Sunday. For those of you who don't want to be around your family and just want to sneak off and listen to some good hockey talk, you'll have to download another podcast. But for those of you who want to sneak off and listen to some fat idiot ramble in his basement on a Saturday night and listen to that Sunday morning, I'm being a little too harsh on myself. But, I mean, it's also being honest. Then listen to me. Welcome to the show. What do I start with? I guess I'll start with the Oilers. Man, I, I, you know, I get in these modes like I've been for the last four months now of not being able to do these, being able to do these less and less frequently. And part of the reason I end up doing them less and less frequently is because it stuff piles up that I want to talk about and then I don't know where to start. And so I have trouble and I'll write out, you know, different things that I want to talk about and, you know, I get writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and then I bore myself and I almost did that again tonight. I Writing down notes, I started writing and writing and writing and I'm writing down so much shit. It's like, oh, fuck, I don't feel like doing this. I just want to go to bed. The dog wants to go to bed. He's got a big day tomorrow of running around the farm. You know, I've got a big day tomorrow of having to get up. You know, it's tough. It's tough, but there's too much hockey going on to not talk about. And, you know, I was planning on doing this all day. And then on headlines during the Jets game, Elliot Friedman has a little tidbit on how Mark Hunter went for a second interview with Bob Nicholson. So I guess this one soups on Oilers, and I'll do the soups on hockey one after I record this one. Oh, Mark Hunter. Let's just get right into it. Welcome to the show, by the way. Thanks for listening. Uh... Mark Hunter. I think I've been pretty vocal. I, I'm more so focused on Kelly McCrimmon. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the idea of Mark Hunter. Not at all. Uh, people who... I don't even call going to call them hockey people, but older people, people who just blindly reject the idea of analytics as being evil. Uh you know, the Mark Spectres of the world, they'll tell you that Mark Hunter is just the greatest thing ever. Now, they can't tell you why they think Mark Hunter's the greatest thing ever. They just think that Mark Hunter's the greatest thing ever. You know, like they can't point to hard evidence 
is to what is going to make Mark Hunter this terrific GM. You can't even point to the Leafs draft record under Mark Hunter and say that's why he's a great GM. That's or that's why he's going to be a great GM. First of all, evaluating players does not make you a good GM. And evaluating 18-year-old kids, I should say, does not make you a great GM. Okay? That means he's good at doing evaluations on 18-year-old players. There is so much more that goes on or that goes into being a GM than amateur scouting. Mark Hunter has proven that he can be the head of amateur scouting for an NHL franchise. Has Mark Hunter proven in any way that he's going to be good on the business end of this? Has Mark Hunter proven in any way that he's going to be a great trader? Has Mark Hunter proven in any way that he's going to be a terrific negotiator? I guess that goes under the business category, but it, there's nothing that says Mark Hunter is going to be even a good GM. Yet, if you listen to, you know, again, and I say spec, there's plenty more guys, but because, you know, Edmonton, I, I think of guys like Spectre and Matheson and, you know, we all know the types. Who will sit there and tell you, oh, Mark Hunter's terrific. They can't point to any reason why. Oh, well, London's been good. Yeah, okay, yeah, the London Knights, they've got an amazing program. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah, that's, that's pretty apples to oranges. Having a terrific junior program is not anything like being a good GM or better than a good GM for an NHL franchise, but yeah, okay. <laughs> like, like yeah, London's yeah, London's got a great you know. So in the NHL, you can just you're gonna have a lot of players that are going to uh, reject going to other teams in the draft and try and force their way to Edmonton. That's gonna happen in the NHL, eh? Okay, like that's in the NHL, you're going to have players that, you know, decide, eh, you know what, this NCAA route isn't for me. I'm going to go to Edmonton. That That's going to happen because that's what happens in London. That's a lot of the reason. It's not the only reason, but that's a lot of the reason why the Knights have so much sustained success. I'd have to talk to my buddy SPR. He's much more, especially with the London Knights, but he's much more in tune with what goes into a junior program than I am. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know, you know, I know the basics. I don't know the little, the intricacies, so to speak. Um, But yeah, the Mark Hunter idea. Now I'm willing to give him a chance. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to listen to Keith Gretzky if that's the route they go. I'm willing to listen to Mark Hunter. I'm willing to listen to Kelly McCrimmon. These guys are at the bottom of my personal list. But I'm willing to listen to what they have to say. If Mark Hunter comes in and he says, we need to upgrade the speed. We need to take a harder stance with trade negotiations, with contract negotiations. We need to get the cap back under control. 
We need to, you know, like if he says it, we need to integrate not just an analytics department, but the best analytics department, not just a sports science department, but the best sports science department, not just a psyche, you know, and this is one I've kind of thought about over the last few days is psychological, you know, I'd like to know, you know, we, we look at analytics, we look at sports science, what about from a psychology standpoint, what are NHL teams doing and is there more NHL teams can do? And that's something else that I'd like to see come from the Edmonton Oilers organization is they're doing everything they can to help their players from a psychological standpoint. What that entails, I don't know. I can't tell you. But those are the types of things that I want to hear. So if Mark Hunter or Kelly McCrimmon or Keith Gretzky, for example, get this job and these are the kind of things they're saying, okay, I'm still not going to be, you know, fist pumping down the street as I walk Griffey at the notion that they hired one of these guys. But I am going to go, okay, let's, let's see, you know, they, you know, I'll probably with anybody, I'll say the same thing that, well, you know, it can't get any worse than what it went under Shirelli. It, it really can't get any worse. And, you know, speaking of SPR there in my little rant, I, I did, you know, some of you may have seen, I did have an interesting back and forth of them on Twitter about Babcock possibly coming with Mark Hunter. And I, I really do believe that's a strong possibility. Uh, you know, I think Toronto's going to finish off Boston today because that's when you'll be listening to this. I think I, I don't know if they're going to... Actually, I shouldn't say they're going to finish them off today. But I do think Toronto's going to win that series, whether it's today or whether it's Tuesday night. Uh, I, I really do believe Toronto has that series because I just think they've proven to not only everyone but themselves more than everyone that that they can win in Boston. So if they have to go back there and they have to win, win in Boston, they know they can win in Boston. Hell, the the game that Kadri cross-checked DeBrusque, that was the only game in the series they lost in Boston out of three. And, you know, they, they were in that game in the third period after getting beat down in the first period. They were still in that game middle to late in the third. I want to say that they were still 2-1 when Kadri cross-checked DeBrusque. I could be wrong on that. It might have been 3-1. But regardless, I'm trying. Someone might be screaming at me right now. the The game ended at this score. I can't remember if it would end up to be in three one or four one. I think it was three one. I think it ended up three one. But anyway, even if Toronto wins this series, I just I'm not sure Babcock's going to be back. I think I think he doesn't see eye to eye with Dubis. I think that Sheldon Keefe is Dubis's guy. I think Dubis, if, you know, all things are even, Dubis and Babcock part ways and Keefe gets the job. And I really believe if Babcock knows the GM who goes into Edmonton and knows he'll bring him, he'll bring him in, then I think... 
it would be a mutual parting of the ways. Because Babcock would probably know, okay, well, I'm just going to get my eight million from the Oilers rather than the Leafs, and I'll go with I'll go with Mark to Edmonton, because I think they, from all accounts, Mark Hunter and Mike Babcock were strongly aligned in Edmonton or in Toronto, sorry. And so that's that's me reading the tea leaves. Whether it happens, I don't know. If you would have told me that at the start of the year that 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 might end up being the case, I would have been so pumped. I just would have been sky high. I, I I personally still believe that Mike Babcock is the best coach on the planet. I will say, though, in this market with this team, I tend to lean towards wanting a guy like Rocky Thompson in there. And for those who don't know, Rocky Thompson, it's not because of his Oilers ties. Rocky Thompson has grinded his way, or is currently grinding his way up to the NHL and is going to be an NHL head coach probably in the next two or three years. Uh, And he's just new age. He's... Big time positive energy. He's kind of kind of like think of a Ralph Kruger. Like he's that kind of guy. Um, I I'm starting to really lean towards that being the guy for the Oilers, given how the market can be so brutal, given how they've got one of the youngest teams in the league. At least they did at the start of last year. That might not have been the case once Puliyarvi and Yamamoto were sent down and Bouchard too. I guess. Uh, but they were still one of the youngest teams in the league, and especially the leadership core is one of the youngest in the league. I feel like they need a guy who can really, like, really just bring that positive energy. You know, like, they're, when you got a leadership core that hasn't been through the rigors, and I mean, I know Luch has, but, you know, all Nuge has had is losing. You know, McDavid hasn't been, you know, he had one successful season. Think of a guy like Larson. Larson hasn't had too much success in this league. Even Clefbaum, who doesn't wear a letter, he hasn't had much success in this league. So, you know, I I don't put a lot of stock into who your leadership group is. But that leadership group probably needs a guy who can bring super positive energy. Ken Hitchcock, without a doubt, is not that type of head coach. And I'm not sure that Todd McClellan was that type of head coach. Todd McClellan, I don't think, was... How do I put it? I don't think he was negative energy. But his trying-to-be-firm-fair-demanding type ways... uh, yeah, I don't know if it really worked. You know, I, I, I think it, it worked for how hard the team worked, if that makes sense. But, you know, you need... There's something to positive energy and all that shit, for, again, lack of a better term. There's something to it when, you know, with, with getting down. You know, it's easy for someone to keep on you about working hard. But when you're down, you kind of don't want to hear, keep working hard. It's not, you you don't want to hear that. 
When things are going shitty, ah, just, just, just keep working. Just keep grinding. Just keep grinding. Just keep grinding. No, you need a little bit more positivity than that. And that's where a guy like Rocky Thompson would be a welcome change of a voice for these guys, I'm sure. Uh, anyway, I'm not. I didn't plan on getting too much into the coaching aspect of it tonight, but back to Babcock. I definitely wouldn't cry about Babcock being brought in, but again, I'm not as high on it. I know some of my buddies who are Leafs fans will tell me, "Yeah, you know, he's not. He's not what he's cracked up to be. He's, you know, he's." I would have thought, you know, a couple years ago that he was the best coach in the league. Now I'm not sure. You know, I've heard some of them bitch about him. Um, yeah, I'm, (laughs) I'm not sure you guys are anywhere close to where you are right now without Babcock. I mean, that team, that 2017 team wasn't supposed to come anywhere close to the playoffs. They made the playoffs. By 2018, you started having thoughts of a Stanley Cup. And now here we are in 2019. Thanks to some pretty big upsets around the league, the Leafs might be considered the Stanley Cup favorite when the dust settles here in the first round. Like, you know, that's Babcock hasn't done a shitty job, despite you guys not loving everything he does. He hasn't done that shitty of a job. Um, but back to the GM search, because this is really what I wanted to talk about. Uh, you know, I... I'm still big on Lawrence Gilman. Another guy that, and I don't think this is any possibility of happening. Friedman and Merrick a couple weeks ago talked about Eric Tulski from the Carolina Hurricanes. And it wasn't in regards to the Oilers' job, but they mentioned how he's a big-time analytics guy, but the big thing was he could, he could communicate. He's an extremely good communicator. And I guess people around the league believe that he's he's the one calling or one of the guys calling the shots in Carolina. And we all I think recognize, I think all of us recognize just how great of a job that organization has done in the last what, four or five years of finding talent. And you know, they haven't lost on contracts. They haven't lost on on draft they haven't or in drafting guys they haven't i'm i'm so shaky and man i need to do this more than once every five weeks or so they haven't lost on the amateur side they haven't lost in trades like they've they've done a really good job like yeah okay there's a few you know scott darling i guess is one hey Scott Darling had the numbers to back up that contract. If the Canes weren't giving it to them, to him, a lot of other teams were ready to give him that kind of deal. Didn't work. Didn't work. You know, and not, you know, it doesn't matter if you hire what kind of, what philosophy, what kind of philosophical guy, I should say, you know, what he, Jesus Christ, I am rusty at this. It doesn't matter what kind of guy you hire for the job. You're going to miss because it's humans. You know, it doesn't matter how many analytics you have. And analytics guys will tell you this. They're not going to hit 100%. You know, the numbers will not tell you absolutely everything. It's all information. 
And we can have as much information as we need on people. It still doesn't mean we're going to know everything about the person. So, but Tulski is a guy I really hope they're looking at. Man, though, the guy that might have moved to the front of my list in the last few weeks, Chris McFarland from the Avs. You know, he's their AGM. Um, he was the AGM. I don't know if he's the AGM in Columbus, but he was with the organization when they did the Rick Nash trade. You know, he gets credit for the Rick Nash trade from those inside the game. He gets credit credit for the Matt Duchesne trade from those inside the game. And the big thing with both of those moves is they were for depth. You know, the Avs in that trade for Rick Nash got a lot of depth. And that's what really turned around that Columbus franchise. They were going nowhere. That's why Rick Nash wanted out. They were the team that was going nowhere. And Chris McFarland orchestrated that trade with the Rangers. And it completely turned them around. In 2013, they just barely missed the playoffs. And then they made it in 2014. Like that. And the guy builds with speed. And, you know, you look at the Avs and how they took apart the Flames. Like that was that was their speed. They don't have they don't have a lot of skill on the second, third, and fourth lines. They got speed. And their speed destroyed the flames. And man, I'll get into it on the other pro- podcast. <laughs> I've never seen an what it was, you know, essentially an eighth seed destroy a number one seed like that. Destroyed them. L.A. in 2012, when they beat Vancouver, most of that was Jonathan Quick. You know, I know the Kings got up 3-0, and their size was a big factor, and, you know, the Canucks were choke artists. But, like, the Kings didn't dominate the Canucks in that series. They got by them mostly because of Jonathan Quick. And when Corey Schneider stepped in for the Canucks, it became a pretty tight series. Where even though it was 3 nothing Kings, you kind of didn't know which way. That, that that series was still up for grabs. Man, I, I, yeah, I've never seen that. I've never seen that. The, it, like, that looked like the Avs were the one seed and the Flames were the eighth seed. That's how bad the Avs outplayed them. You know they had a you know they had a subpar game one. Like if the Avs are the one seed, they had a subpar game one, and then blew them out the rest of the series. Like I've never seen an eight do that to a one in my life, in any sport. Well, I guess there's only two sports where you get that is the NBA and NHL. But yeah, wow, that was something. Anyway. Chris McFarland and the job that the Avs have done turning that franchise around from where they were two years ago to now, whoo, give me some of that, and I pray he is getting interviewed. I pray for that. And, you know, it's, I'll talk in depth about the kind of guys that I would like to see be at the top of the Oilers list. Uh, I've got a 
four-part blog that I'm hoping to get finished this weekend and put it out this week. I guess the Oilers got this May 1st deadline, apparently, for no reason, on finding their GM. If you guys think so fucking highly of Keith Gretzky, why do you have such a hard deadline to find a new GM? Why couldn't Keith Gretzky be the interim GM through the draft? Like, either you're lying about how much you like Keith Gretzky, or you're being absolutely ridiculous about this. May 1st. Like, fuck me. 12 days. You need to find that guy in 12 days. I guess, you know, you're listening to this, you know, it's 10 days, really. You know, I, I'm actually I'm being an idiot and counting May 1st, plus the fact that it's 11.21 on April 20th. You're listening to this on April 21st. So it's 10 days away. <laughs> like, oh, this organization, man. Some, anyway, like, I wanted to talk about the roster, though. And in that blog, I talk about the roster. And I, I talk about McFarland, speed, speed, speed. That's exactly what I want to see from the Oilers. I don't want to sacrifice much size. So to give you a taste, um, I, w- I, I don't think the Lucic contract can be moved this summer. You could probably do it July, or you could maybe do it July 2nd because it goes down to $3 million. My thinking at the moment, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, my opinion is probably going to change on this several times over, but... I, I've gone from going, they need to get every big contract off the books to, no, be patient with everybody and just let everybody run out. And now I'm at the point of, hang on to Lucic because you'd have to pay out your ass to move him and just focus on getting rid of Russell, Gagne, Manning. Just those three. Those three bloated contracts, just get rid of them. That frees up nine mil. I believe that would put the Oilers cap this summer around 17 mil is what they would free up if they were able to move. And I mean, that's when I say that, I say like you move all of the contract with those three guys. You know, maybe you hold on to couple hundred thousand in the deals but for the most part i would i would look to obviously you're gonna have to pay i would pay to get rid of those three and you free up seven or you you would then have 17 million i believe is the number after you know it's uh let's see five well a little over five with gagne and manning and then four for russell so you know that means nine about nine uh, two five and one, so yeah, nine three five, I think, is what you'd clear to be exact. And then the eight that they have this summer, I don't know if that's including the fact that the cap's going to go up. In fact, it's not. So that's another three. So you would you would then have about twenty million this summer, and that's you should be able to. You know, here's the thing, too. There's nobody that they have to sign this summer. You know, a backup goaltender, you know, a few depth players. Like, the only 
RFA that you're looking at giving a new deal to, in my mind, is Jujar. Maybe Ratty, and maybe you give Chase on a deal. I would only give one of those two guys a deal myself, and we know that they're not bringing Reader back. Pretty sure that one's not happening. Uh, yeah. Oh, and Pulley RV. I, but here's the thing. With Pulley RV, and I actually forgot to put this down in my notes, word leaked about two weeks ago, I saw Dustin Nielsen talking about it on Twitter, that a Finland a team in Finland, in Liga, would want to sign him, or is interested in signing him. Now, I'm not sure, because of the transfer agreement that the NHL would have with them, I'm not sure Pugliarvi could sign there and then sign back with the Oilers without clearing waivers. I could be wrong on this, but I believe... La Liga would, is basically just like Pugliarvi going to the AHL. Could be wrong, though. The point I'm looking to make, though, is whether if he could go to La Liga, that's great. Sign there. Absolutely sign in that league. Go home. Go home. Sign there for a year. Maybe even sign there for two years. Go home and play. Or if that if you if you would then have to clear waivers to come back to the Oilers, then if I'm the Oilers, I tell him, go sign a two-year deal in the K. And you might say, well, why, why would it be just be one year, not two years? Why would you do two years? Because I don't think the KHL would take him for just one year. They would need a second year. But to me, if you don't want to completely piss away this asset, that's what needs to be done. He needs it, and he can't go to the AHL next year. He's now he's now going to have to clear waivers to get to the AHL. You need an option where he can still develop. He can he has time to recover from his double hip surgery. Like you need to buy this guy time. He's not worth anything right now. Not anything worth your time. So, you know, like, yeah, like maybe you could package him in a deal for a player, but he'd basically be an add-in piece. I think there's teams that would like to get him, but not not for anything, you know, for the same price that, you know, Shirelli got for Yakupov. Maybe a little bit more for Pugliarvi, because I'm sure there are others like me who see a lot more upside in Pugliarvi than they do in Yakupov. But... Or that they did in Yakupov. But that's what needs to happen with Pugliarvi. I do not, personally, as big of a fan I am as of him, I don't want to see him on the team next year. I would like to hear that, hey, Pugliarvi signed a two-year deal in the KHL. And you might say, well, what are you doing losing, losing a guy for two years? Uh, you're saving the asset. That's what you're doing. You're salvaging the asset. Because, I mean, if he has to... And here's the other thing. Do you really want to waste a roster spot on trying to develop a guy when your team is in the shape that they're in? If your team is Tampa Bay, you don't mind at all burning a roster spot trying to develop a kid. When you're the Oilers and you need all the help you can get, you can't really afford to burn a roster spot on trying to develop someone. Okay? 
So there. So anyway, uh, back to the roster construction. <laughs> so this is what I'd do. The big gamble that I would take next year is Secker on the second pairing. And part of the reason I wouldn't move out Sakura is because I think if you give him next season, not only will he only have one year left on his deal, but I think if he comes in healthy, he can get back to being close to what he was. And he was a th- number three before he left. Or before he left, before he got injured. I don't know if he can ever get his speed back up to where it was, but man, he looked so good when he came back this time around that I really believe with a with a healthy offseason that the guy can get back close to the form that he showed in 2017. I mean, a lot of his game is super high IQ out there, making so many smart plays and being a terrific puck-moving defenseman. You know, those guys don't fade quickly. But again, I mean, I fully admit, it's a gamble given that his, you know, he's coming off these two injuries. Here's the other thing, though. You have guys in the system who might be able to fill that role. You know, I'm not going to say for a second that this organization should gamble on Joel Person to be a number four defenseman next year. But I will say that he might be capable. He's he's not he's not some you know raw rookie. He's a polished, gonna be 25-year-old defenseman who's you know had terrific showings in the SHL. You know, like he he's ready to come over, he's ready for a number six role. What I would bank on with him is being a six, seven, or eight. But my point I'm trying to make here is that this organization has guys who might have the talent to step into that number four spot on the right side if Sekra can't handle it. If it's just, you know, looks for sure like, well, he's he's just going to get lit up all season playing in that spot. But ideally, other than the fact that obviously he's not a right shot defenseman, that's the type of D-man that I think Darnell Nurse badly needs to play with. A super intelligent guy who's not constantly looking to rush the puck, but can move it, you know, as good as anyone in the league. You know, he Sakura is that good of a puck mover. You know, he's not an he's not an elite guy, but he's definitely, I would say, top thirty of D men who you know the way they move the puck. If you were ranking everybody's outlet pass, I, I would say he's top 30, maybe even top 20. Like he moves it that well. Let's look at the time, as I always tend to do. Uh, because I don't really keep track. 35 minutes, not too bad, although I've got a shit ton left that I want to talk about. Uh, so that's the big gamble that I would take for the blue line. Now, here's what else I'd look to do. Larson for Jared Spurgeon. Obviously, we don't know if Spurgeon will be dealt this summer. If you read Mike Russo's stuff out of Mini, that is definitely on the table for Paul Fenton. Like, it definitely sounds up in the air whether Spurgeon will be back with the Wild or if they'll look to trade him. 
if he's out there and he's willing to sign an extension, the Oilers better be in on him. And I'd be willing to add DeLars to make the deal work. Uh, the guy that comes to mind that I would throw into the into the mix with Larson is Ethan Bear. But there's other guys, obviously. William Loggison's another guy that I'd be willing to toss in the deal. I might even be willing to go as much as Samarukov. You know, obviously there are forward prospects too, but the Oilers have they definitely have a lot more depth on the blue line in the organization than up front. You know, there's other guys too. Philip Kemp might be of interest to them. Philip Kemp's a really good prospect. He's still a ways off. And there is some word out there that he might not be a sure bet to sign with the Oilers. So that's another thing they might want to look at. Maybe he'd be willing to sign with Minnesota. But, you know, I'd be willing, the point is I'd be willing to add to Larson, but essentially Larson for Spurgeon. And you might say, well, why would Minnesota do that? That's a downgrade for them. Eh, they save one mil on the cap. And they get a second year, or they get two years out of Larson at four mil as compared to one more year out of Spurgeon at just over five. I think Larson's 4.1, Spurgeon's 5.18, Larson's 4.16, something like that. Um, And it's the type of deal Paul Fenton has done. He moved out Niederreiter, he got back Rask. Rask was a cheaper cap hit for longer term. Uh, moved out Coil, brought back Donato. Now, much cheaper cap hit, but point being, again, a guy who could who he could plug and play. He's looking to shed their cap, but still maintain a competitive team. That's what Larson does for him. So if he could add Larson and a prospect for Spurgeon, then he probably does it. Now, what do you give Spurgeon? For me, what I... Uh, you know, huh. Not a matter of what I think, but, you know, I think that Spurgeon would command six years and probably six to six and a half million. That's what I think. He's an Edmonton kid, though. Keep that in mind. You know, there's not a ton of guys who are willing to sign in Edmonton. Spurgeon, and, you know, you might say, ooh, he'll be 30 when that deal starts. Yes, I know that that's not super intriguing, Again, with puck-moving defensemen, they, they, we're not talking Milan Lucic here. They age much more fine than power forwards. Like, I'm not saying I love six years, but six years, six, six to six and a half million, that's... Trust me, that's not bad. And apparently, Russo put this in one of his pieces on it. Uh, He said that Spurgeon takes care of himself better than most players in the league. This is not a kid who is a huge gamble to sign long term. So that's that's the move that I, another move that I'd like to do. And again, upgrade the puck moving. That's the big thing here. Plus, Spurgeon's a guy, played on the top pair there this year. Now, when he started getting power, top power play minutes, he started producing. You know, he's a threat. He's a threat from the blue line offensively, which Larson isn't. He can still handle the tough minutes that Larson can. 
Like, he's a clear upgrade. So if you can make that move, you do it. Would I be willing to add a whole lot more to Adam Larson than, say, a B-grade prospect? Probably not. A little something here or there, but not a lot. Uh, It's an intriguing idea, though. And then for the bottom pair, I would have Jones with probably Joel Pearson. And, you know, if he doesn't get dealt, Ethan Bear competing for that number six spot. For me... That means Chris Russell goes. As I said earlier, I think Chris Chris Russell's even value. I don't think you would get anything good for him at all, but I don't think he's negative value. If you got your fifth rounder back that Peter Shirelli carelessly pissed away for Hayden Hockey, who they're not going to fucking sign, then, then you do that and call that a win. And I do think there are teams that would take Chris Russell at $4 million for two more years. 100% do. So then you say, okay, well, you still got Matt Benning. Now, some of you might say, whoa, 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 Matt Benning, $1.9 million is a bargain. I know. I know. We need trade chips, though. I think you revisit that Connor Brown thing with Toronto. I think the Leafs will be willing to do that. If they're not, though, there's lots of other defense, or there's lots of other forwards like that around the league that they could probably get for Matt Benning. That's that's what I would do. And then the seven guy, maybe Kevin Gravel, maybe you bring back Alex Petrovic, neither guy. Like, I like the idea of Petrovic myself because... He's at an extremely low value right now. You can probably get him for league minimum this offseason. You know, that's if you bring him in as your number seven, plus if Secker is going to be on your second pair as a left shot defenseman, you probably, you definitely need a right shot defenseman as your number seven, in my mind. And Alex Petrovic has the type of talent where if he ever got his career back on course, he maybe could be that number four guy again. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, if it's Kevin Gravel, I'm definitely not going to be crying or if it's someone else, I'm, you know, it's number seven guys and number seven guy, but that's what it, the point being with that blue line, you go from essentially having no puck moving defenseman pre Sekera coming back last year to all of a sudden having four guys who can really move it. Plus a guy like nurse who can't move it very well, but can skate it. And a guy like Clefbaum, who I don't view as a pure puck mover, but he definitely can move it pretty good. The whole blue line being able to at least get the puck out of their own zone, huge. Huge. And huge for the team speed. And then up front, again, uh, these are guys that I possibly look at. I mean, no idea if teams would move them. But I'd be looking at guys like, I just mentioned Connor Brown, Arturi Lackanen from the Habs, Miles Wood from the, from the Devils, Andre Burakovsky from the Caps, who I don't think is going to get qualified by them. If, he's not, if he is qualified, I'm sure he could be had for pretty cheap. He, you know, and I'll have to do another podcast all about why I love Burakovsky. I love that idea, but 
I don't know if it'll be tonight if I'll get to it, but uh, Denny Mulligan, Rocco Grimaldi, who is currently in the midst of playing his way out of being a possibility at all. Uh, Alex Wenberg, who isn't a speed demon. You know, he's a really good skater, but more so as an idea of a third-line center. Uh, and why him? I think he could be a buyout candidate, or he's a strong buyout candidate for the Blue Jackets. Mind you, the Blue Jackets are going to have a ton of cap space this summer when everybody leaves. Uh, Sonny Milano, who again, coming from the Blue Jackets organization, maybe he'll finally have a spot with their team next year, but you know, there was talk at the trade deadline that he was going to get dealt. And, you know, he's a talented kid. Um, and then a kid just like, you know, same situation as Milano is Josh Hosang. Um, I know the Oilers are so unlikely to be the organization to take a chance on Josh Hosang. But I love the idea of Hosang, and so I'm going to put him down. But the point here, and there's other guys too, but those are the ones that come to mind. Speed and skill all over. You know, I don't like the idea of bringing back Alex Chason. And it's not, Chason had a great season. I know he had a great season. I want all the speed you can fit into the lineup. My philosophy in hockey has changed to if you can outskate a team and you can force turnovers, you know, all this stuff, you know, it's kind of tough for, you know, it's increasingly tough for teams to push you around these days both because of the way they're being constructed and the way the games are being called. You know, if you just pressure teams all over the ice, you're going to create goals. You know, I... You know, this the, the depth on this team this year couldn't skate. You know, they had no burners at all. You know, even like, even some guys that you want to say, well, he could skate pretty good, you know... They they weren't guys. I'm trying to think of who that guy even would be. Oh, I just think of the second half of the season and how much shit there was on the second, third, and fourth lines. Wow. Uh, you know you need speed everywhere, and that's the thing. Like, the Avs don't have more talent than the Oilers. Like I, I don't even know. Like when I say talent, I don't necessarily mean skill, but just. You know, it's I guess value around the league. Like I, I don't think the Avs roster has any more value than the Oilers, but it's the way they're constructed. Their blue line can move the puck. Their forwards can skate. The Oilers forwards couldn't skate, and their blue line couldn't move the puck. The Oilers one through six actually have a good blue line, in my opinion. They have a they have a lot of good defensemen. It's the mix that is so terrible. You bring in a shit ton of puck movers and a shit ton of forwards who can skate and keep an eye, you know, have an eye towards not not getting rid of all the size and toughness. You know, a lot of people would take me to task on Darnell Nurse and say, no, that's the guy you want to move because his trade value is sky high and compared to what he brings on the ice. My opinion is you've got a guy who can play top four, tough as fuck, can fly, will continue to get better. You want that guy on your team. Plus, I really believe with Nurse especially, he's never been on the second pair 
with a very good puck moving defenseman like he like I have in my mind with Sekera next season. You know, I nurses nurse has either been on the top pair with Larson or he's been on the second pair with Russell. Give him a second pairing guy who's a good D partner and a healthy Sekera could be that guy. Could ex- could be that exact guy. Um yeah, uh, I guess I did want to hit on the one guy I did talk about. I love the idea of Lekkonen. And Lekkonen is a guy who I think could be had. You know, I look at I look at the Habs right now, and I look at the left side of their D, and I, I think that Russell is a guy who, Mark Ber- he's the type of defenseman Mark Bergevin's coveted in the past, and they've got nothing on their left side currently that I personally view as being above Chris Russell anyway. I could be wrong on that. I could have missed some guys. You know, they've got some guys that are okay. Uh, but yeah, nothing special. And I just think, well, maybe there's a trade there between Lekkonen, who's an RFA, and Chris Russell. You know, and, and Lekkonen is the type of player. He's really skilled. You know, you, you look at his numbers and you might not be impressed. Even his analytic numbers, I've chased them over the last few years to see what he's like. I know he had a real good course or real good coursey numbers in 2018. This year they went down, but he was also playing a lot of the season with Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who of course is an 18 year old rookie. Um, you know, he had 31 points in 82 games this season, 11 goals, 20 assists. Uh, the big knock on him is he never shoots the puck. You know, again, he was playing a lot of the season with Cock and the Emmy. As far as I knew, I know he started the season on a line with Domi. Uh, I think Domi was at center to start the season. But I, I'm pretty sure that he st- he finished the season mostly playing with Cock and the Emmy, and I'm not sure how far that goes back but I want to say it goes back quite a ways anyway you know Montreal has a lot of wingers I think he's a winger that could be had and he's never played with a guy like Dreisaitl and I just think their games would complement each other so well like Lekkonen can gain the zone Dreisaitl isn't isn't a guy who's going to gain the zone a, a ton of times I, that's a shitty way of wording that. I'm sorry. They just <laughs> I'm losing my voice. I don't even think I'll get to the second podcast here tonight. But um, Rusty, Rusty, doing this. I I, I just see lacking in like a poor man's Hemsky. I guess is the best way to put it. He'll back the D off with that speed, which is what Dreisaitl can't do. That's the better way of putting it, Campbell. You fucking moron. Uh, <laughs> and then he'll he he's a guy who can find him. You know, Dreisaitl's proven this year he, he he can be a sniper. Now he's still a terrific passer, but he can be a sniper. And Lekkonen, I you know, he's not Hall, he's not McDavid, who are the two guys that Dreisaitl's thrived with. But he plays a similar type of game to them. At least, like offensively, that not nowhere near as high end as they are, obviously. But I just think with with a guy like Drysaitel, Lekkonen could be a fifty to sixty point guy. 
but he needs that guy. He needs the guy like Dreisaitl. And the same thing with Hosang. I think if Hosang, you know, I know Hosang is a train wreck in his own zone. Lackanen's not, by the way. Lackanen's pretty solid 200 feet from everything I've ever read on him and seen. Uh, yeah, Hosang would, they would definitely need a, they would definitely need to see soft minutes because, <laughs> the, yeah, he's he's not good in his own zone. But man, he can dish it, and man, he can, like, you know, with Hosang, the puck is in the opposition's end the large majority of the time. The best defense is a great offense. Something like that. Jeez, uh, I've only got a little over seven minutes left. Um, the backup goaltender, Kay. John Willis had a piece on it the other day. Um, one of the names he mentioned is the guy who I have found myself being more and more in the corner of, and that's the idea of Tristan Jerry. It's not because he's an ex-Oil King. It's because he's a kid who has played four years of pro hockey. He was a relatively high draft pick. He has... He hasn't looked great in his stints in Pittsburgh, but he's looked okay. You need more than one or two games here or there to prove your worth, you know, to get settled in. Uh, he had nine fifteen save percentage this year with Wilkes-Barre Scranton in 47 games. He has got another year, by the way, on his contract at the league minimum. He is ready to see NHL minutes. The Penguins have Casey DeSmith locked up for three seasons, and of course they have Matt Murray. Tristan Jerry is ready to be traded. Add to this, Tristan Jerry needs two games of 30 minutes or more to avoid becoming a group six free agent this offseason, or next offseason, sorry. The time is now for the Pens to trade him. I'm not saying the Pens are going to give him away, but I think the Pens would be open to trading him. So he'd be my guy. You get him on league minimum, a kid who is very talented. And, you know, you need a guy... You know, you want to keep these guys who are, you know, project to be starters someday in the NHL. You want to avoid them being backups in the NHL. You want them playing. Well, in this role that the Oilers need, they need a guy who's going to play 30 to 40 games. They don't need your standard backup giving you 20 to 25 games. They need a guy who's a 1B for Koskinen. And here's the thing. If Jerry fails... He's, you're still in a great position where you could deal for a more proven backup. If you go out and sign a veteran like, say, Mike Smith for $2.5 million and he continues to decline like he was in the regular season, what then? You're stuck with a guy who's playing shitty for $2.5 million. If Jari fails, you can go and trade for a guy. And he's still a valuable trade chip because he's making league minimum. He's still waiver exempt. That's a guy you can trade. And the upside is probably much higher than it is with, say, a Mike Smith. Say a Cam Talbot. Although we all know Cam Talbot's not going to come back here. You know, like... Guys will say, I've heard Stoffer say, ah, oh, you need you need a veteran backup. 
That is dumb. That is fucking dumb. You Essentially what you're saying, oh, you need a veteran backup. Yeah, that's great if it works. And if it fails, you're handcuffed. And a team that's cap-strapped like the Oilers are can't afford to be handcuffed. So if you get a guy like Tristan Jari, you save a lot of money with him making league minimum. The upside is there for that guy to become your starter. And he's going to get a lot of games. And if he fails, trade him. And Shane Starrett is your number three guy. Not to mention they got other trade chips. You could deal one of Wells or Skinner in a package to get Jari. The Pens don't have many draft picks. Maybe it's maybe it's Skinner and a third round pick for Jari. Like to me, that's the move. What do I got left for time? Fifty six. Okay. Um, just one thing on the draft, and I wrote it in my Oilers prospects piece. If you haven't read it, check it out. I actually do think I did pretty good on it. Um, although there was fuck up, I didn't have person in the original piece that I posted. Like I did have him in it, but the piece that originally went up was not the piece that was not the final draft. <laughs> So I had, I had updated it after I figured it out. But yeah, it. Uh, if you were wondering by chance, if you read it and said, hey, why isn't Pearson on this? Uh, he was. He just, he got forgot about when I was doing it. And late the night before that I posted it, I realized that he wasn't on the list. And when I redid it, I didn't. That piece, that part didn't go up. So anyway. Uh, or the updated piece didn't go up. So, anyway, uh, the draft, I mentioned it. Uh, yeah, to me, it looks clear-cut at this point. A lot is going to change. But at this point, it looks clear-cut that Peyton Krebs would be the eighth pick. And I, I just think it'd be a home run. I really do. That kid, I'm... I think I'm pretty good at comparisons in my draft stuff. If you go back and look, Miko Rantanen, for example, I compared him to Marion Hosa. Tell me that guy doesn't look like Marion Hosa. Tell me that. Tell me there's a better comparison for Miko Rantanen right now than Marion Hosa. There isn't. Okay? And that was my call. Um, now, not to say others might have had it, but I uh, definitely wouldn't have been looking to copy anyone. I hate doing that. Um... My comparison for Peyton Krebs is Zach Parise. And like that's just... With Krebs, you're talking... He's got skill, speed, IQ, character. He's everything you want in a player. 5'11". Uh, probably needs you know one more year in the dub. And, I mean, obviously with the Oilers, the big goal is to keep the kids, you know, from coming up too soon anymore. But I think that's all he'll end up needing is one more year in the dub. And he's going to be ready. Uh, he he just he'd be perfect pick, perfect pick. They need they need a lot more skill up front, a lot more skill on the wings, a lot more speed on the wings, a lot more speed in the organization. That's the guy. That you're hitting a fucking home run if you pick Peyton Krebs. So, anyway, I'm about to run out of time here. So, uh, yeah, 
Hopefully, I'll be able to do these a little more often. I'll probably try and do a lot more draft stuff as we get up to the draft here, but no promises. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, this is Soups on Oilers. Talk to you next time.